space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of Starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life, a new civilization, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Greetings, salutations, and welcome to Retrek. I'm Captain Jim. With me, of course, is Admiral Elliot. Hi there. And joining us is Dr. Squee. Hello, I thought I drank at the last mouthful of supper down while the credits were playing. <laughs> I misjudged. Fair enough. Fair enough. We can't say fairer than that. Um, yeah, so Dr. Squee, this is the first time you've come on to talk about Lower Decks. So before... Uh, prodigy, even Lower Decks? Not Lower Decks. Prodigy, <laughs> I keep doing that. Too many Star Trek shows. But we'll do Trek news in a minute. Uh, Dr. Squee, though, first time talking about Prodigy. Before we mm. get to this episode, what are your feelings on Prodigy so far? Man, I've been so frustrated. It's taken me this long to be able to come on, but with one thing or another, with COVID, which I was bit by, and many other things. Um, man, I'm loving the show. I've got to say, not only in a time when there's so much Star Trek, uh, but all doing different and new things by and large, they're all doing something mm -hmm. kind of a, a working in a different space. This really feels like a traditional Star Trek show, even though it's a kid's show, basically what we used to know as a kid's show now is what used to be a family show back in the day. Yeah. But now there's so much bespoke TV for every market. To actually get what used to be a family show, you've yeah. got to go to a kid's show. And if anything, this is probably the most consistently good Star Trek as well. Nothing to, to take nothing away from Lower Decks or Discovery, which both of which I really love. However, they have off, off episodes. They just do. I think I, I can't think of an episode that I haven't enjoyed a prodigy so far. It's the most consistent I think we've got from Star Trek since the original series, the early first two series, because pretty Ooh. much every one of those is gold. It's only when you get to the third series, it gets a bit ropey. And Prodigy just delivers every time. And the arc they're doing, the way that these these guys aren't Starfleet, but they are even more so because the whole principle of Starfleet is some people coming together who uh, you know, and learning stuff and, and just living by the morals and, and making mistakes to do better and become more and more what they're well, meant to be. It's a nice it's way beautiful. to introduce an audience to Star Trek because it's teaching you what Starfleet is about. Yeah, yeah, it actually yeah. goes back to when they uh, relaunched Doctor Who in 2005. The first series with Christopher Eccleston was basically Doctor Who by numbers. Each episode mm -hmm. showed you a different thing that Doctor Who is. Here's a past episode, here's a future episode. Yeah. First of all, obviously, here's what Doctor Who is, and you end with a regeneration. Yeah. A 13-part uh, lesson in how to do Doctor Who. This does that. This is how to do Star Trek. I think that's perfectly put, Elliot. Yeah, I've not really sort of thought of it that way before, but... No, me neither. But, yeah, I can see this one bringing a lot of people in because Discovery launched, and that was the first new show in ages, but it's very steeped in the mythology. Like, you know, you've got Spock's sister and you've got yeah. where it's placed in the timeline raised a lot of questions and you've got the Klingon war and you got... So a non-fan coming into it probably wouldn't have got the gist as quick as you do with um, with Prodigy. So, yeah, well... I'm... And also with, with those other shows, I'd also add that, like, uh, Picard, Discovery... And Lower Decks is all... I mean, Lower Decks is probably in the feel, looks the most like a traditional Star Trek show, like, looking around it. Mm -hmm. 
but certainly Picard and Discovery have sort of in their own ways try and reinvent the wheel. Uh, yeah. Discovery reinvent and like try to redo the look of the Klingons didn't really work for me anyway. Uh, like Picard, it all doesn't look as Star Trek as I want it to. This looks like Star Trek. All the baddies, all the good guys, everyone looks like the races that you remember. That's what I want when I dive into Star Trek. Yeah, sure, do something different with the show, but give me that feeling that it's Star Trek, that it's Starfleet, that we're there. Yeah, I don't think I'd disagree with any of that. Um, shall we do, before we dive into this episode and talking about the looks of the Klingons, we're going to get onto that in the second part of today's episode, but Trek News... And I'm sure everyone who's interested has seen this, but every single show's been renewed for another season. So there's going to be season five of Discovery, season three and four of Lower Decks, uh, season two of Prodigy, or the second half of season one or whatever the what I'm going on. It was already renewed. It's renewed up to season three now. Oh, yeah, I have no idea. I think so it's renewed much. up to season three. And Picard. Picard, we know's filming season three. I suspect that will be the last series because there wasn't an announcement. Every other show got a renewal. Even Strange well, New Worlds, which haven't even premiered yet, has got a second season. Well, right from Wasn't the start, we've, we've said it numerous times, Picard, was always, he always said he was coming back for three series mm -hmm. and that's all it was off to be. Yeah. Yeah. So it's looking very, very good for Star Trek. And in terms of our coverage, um, let's just say we're not going to be talking about the Dominion War anytime too soon after this next <laughs> couple of weeks because we've got at least one new episode of Star Trek from now until May, I think. And some uh, weeks we've got two. So it's, uh, no, it's uh, right through to... Is it July, July. actually? We've okay. got new... New a new live-action Trek, every, at least one every week from the 10th of February. Yep, so it's going to be a little bit crazy, but... And then we have the animated shows filling in gaps. Yeah, <laughs> but, and we've got a movie coming up at some point as well, so... Yeah, they're planning um, yes. 20, uh, Christmas 23. So they say, the, the, the cinema industry... I think we're now seeing with all these announcements, we're seeing that the TV industry has worked out how to deal with COVID and how to get production on track and keep everything ticking over, fingers crossed. Um, whereas the movie industry still seems to be a little bit more tentative because because they need the box office. You know, well, you, you can put the, a show out, oh, everybody's look, at home, it's fine. Trek movies, what they're saying is that it's going to be very much tied into what's happening with the TV universe. A bit like what's happening with Marvel now. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I just... I, and I have no problem with that. No. Oh, I love the idea. I, I just feel like we've been down this road quite a few times recently with new Star Trek movies. The the Tarantino one we were promised. The one where we brought back uh, well, Kirk's dad. Well, this is I, coming... I, I'll wait until we've got a cast and a plot. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. coming yeah. from, um, like, Viacom and Kurtzman and all that. I know, but like I, I genuinely and believe it's all it. going to be tied in together, which yeah, makes yeah. a lot more sense. Can, which I, is great, but I, 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 I fully believe that there was an intent and genuinely something planned behind those other two, and they fell apart. I, hopefully, it's a better sign that they are tied in together. So I'd interrupt you, James. I, no, I was just going to say I, I, I fully expect that it will happen. I just am not putting any stock in cinema release dates at the moment because. 
and it, will it even look, be cinema release? Yeah, it if, could go straight to Paramount Plus. I, mm, I hope not, but um, so I want to see a Trek film on the big screen. But it is. It's nice to go to movies. Yeah, the stuff. <laughs> but the it's, yeah, release dates are still very changeable, even with your your big films. Like I think Batman's just moved again. Um, so yeah anyway we'll see we'll see but there's enough TV to get us um, tied us over until we get to the movie and if uh, for some strange reason you haven't got a TV there's um, the first um, direct written for Audible oh, uh, novel yeah. story coming out um, No Man's Land yeah, with Seven of Nine and um, Rafi yeah and, and it, it picks up straight it's Supposedly picks up straight after the end of season one and explores their relationship a bit. This is, and also yeah, it's, uh, uh, an adventure with the Fenwick Rangers. <laughs> yeah, it's a full cast recording as well. They're, tr- they're trying to get in Doctor Squee. This will be one you're familiar with. They're trying to get in that big finish sort of area, yeah. which Doctor Who obviously has had spectacular success with over the years. So. There's they actually a... did try and do a couple of uh, Star Trek novels on there, but they were read as novels as opposed yeah. to the, um, well, Big Finish is bread and butter, is for anyone who doesn't know. They do Doctor Who audio dramas, but they're full cast. Yeah. I wanted to see that with Star Trek. I think that's that what we're getting with well, this one, Elliot. This is, yeah, about. that's yeah, good. This is yeah. proper full cast, yeah. The yeah. only thing I have with audio dramas is obviously because it's not a visual medium, you need to compensate with that with dialogue. And I remember one I listened to, it was a, an X-Files one. And um, there's a scene where assistant director Skinner is meant to have hung himself. And in order to convey this, they had Mulder, and it was voiced by David Duchovny. It was David Duchovny, Gillian Anderson. You know, they, they went the whole hog with it. And Mulder sort of walks in the door, so it goes, and then he goes, oh, Walter, no. Suicide, hanging yourself, I can't believe it. And you're just like, oh, come on. <laughs> just, you know, surely there was a better way of conveying that. But anyway, and what was weird about that, sorry, this is getting onto a Total X-Files tangent, but that came out just before season, oh, it came out just after season 10, you know, when they did that revival, that six-episode revival. And oh, then, yeah, yeah, doesn't matter. Then they released this audio drama, which was an adaptation of the season 10 comic, which has now been made non canonical by the TV show that they just didn't. You know what? Bit of a cash in, <laughs> bit of a cash in, if we're honest. Anyway, Star Trek. So, yes, we're talking about Prodigy First Contact, um, spelt C O N T A C T. So it's another. We, me and Elliot have been talking last few weeks how we're recycling these titles now, and I suppose. <laughs> but they're doing plays yeah. on words with them, they aren't are. they? Yeah, absolutely. Like so, we've had the episode first contact, the movie first contact, first contact, and second <laughs> contact. So. And by yeah. the way, just to add to your wonderful review of that uh, great fan service episode we had last, where they brought in all these yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. Uh, uh, characters from all over uh, the show. From all over Star Trek. Um, yeah, the only one thing I, I did not like on that last one was what, the fact they didn't clean up the audio. I think there's they no reason. I know, I know, I know. I, know. I, probably, I was going to bring that in because I know you did bring that in. 
I, I think that was a mistake. I think there's no reason for why the holodeck would have them sounding so desperately different. But everything else, I was kind of a fan the, of just like you guys. The reason Sorry. they did it was as a fan service so that we heard the original audio. I know. I know. Yeah, I, I, I heard your review. I like, but I, I just it. don't well, agree. That it, and I love movie. it for that. There, yeah, I, was... I sort of, it took me a bit of <laughs> I wanted to hear them all in the same room and I didn't yeah, think I did it. They... Took me... The only time I found it a bit jarring, and I'll, I'll be honest, my ears obviously aren't that good. I didn't pick up on that it was not being cleaned up, but you could tell where they went from a clip of Spock in the show to Spock in the movies, because all of a sudden it was 30-year-old yes. Leonard and then 90-year-old Leonard reading a line in it. I, um, and that was my point. I Yeah, anyway, sorry. No, I didn't mean to retread. I just, I really loved your review of it. Just that bugged me. And I, I, I annoyed me even more to know they did it on purpose. I'm sorry, <laughs> yeah. but there's no reason in the show for it to be like that. I don't mind fan service yeah. if it makes sense in the show. In the show, there was no reason well, for them to Well, 23rd century audio recordings that they sampled to produce those holidays. If we can clean it up now, they can fucking clean it up. <laughs> Sorry, they can clean it up then. <laughs> no, they can't. You know, not on the Enterprise, because we know that's got technical problems. Like, Pike didn't <laughs> like the hollow projectors. That's why he got rid of them. So, I'm, you know what? I think there is a Trek novel to be written about why the audio wasn't cleaned up and we can, <laughs> we can do that as a full cast recording and we'll see how that works out. Sorry, I, I shouldn't have pulled you back until last week. No, no, that's cool, mate. Uh, so, yeah, first contact then. So the crew are still freaked out about this log from Chakotay. Then we start with the captain's log. Well, Janeway's freaked out about the log. They're excited about the transport. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But the oh. captain's log does say, oh, we, we're still really devastated by this, but we're pissing about with the transport, so it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> Can I also add to that? Like, some just because I think it is relevant this week as much as it was last week. You brought up the fact that usually, like, for instance, with the doctor, it switches on, switches off, it doesn't remember things. So, like, you know, the way they're saying that Janeway has remembered. Mm. I think that's a purposeful decision, and it does play out here of why uh, a command hologram could learn and can bring experience from stuff they've done in the past. I think this is actually a smart way of using a command hologram because a doctor, you just want them to operate. They've got the medical records. It doesn't matter who did it. They know what they're doing. They know what's happened in the past. Whereas command, that's all about new experiences. And yeah, stuff. true. So you I coming... love the fact that Janeway learns. Yeah, are you, are you coming down more on the side then that she has deliberately had a memory of this erased then rather than it just being yeah. standard? I, I think yeah. now, because... Because everything else seems to suggest she remembers her past experiences mm -hmm. and it was a shock to her that she didn't remember this. So I think that was a purposeful decision in the command hologram. Yeah, probably so. Probably yeah. so. Somehow, um, she's bit, somehow she's had this all blocked. Yeah. Up. Yeah. I, I mean, so the, I this is the that. thing and th this is the only thing that slightly worries me about the direction Prodigy's going is that... It's throwing up a lot of questions, but it's throwing up a lot of questions that kids watching it, who this is their first Star Trek, won't even think to ask. But people like us are watching it, asking all these questions. And I'm like, how are they going to balance giving us the satisfaction of answering those questions? I with think that's where it's been quite clever, that it is playing to the kids. But it's putting enough in there for the adult. That's what I mean. Well. But it, the questions are mounting up and up and up, and we'll talk about some of them in this episode. And without doing a massive info dump episode that's going to be really boring for the kids, I don't know. I mean, I absolutely trust these writers, and 
as they proved last week, they clearly know their Star Trek lore and they clearly have a lot of love and respect for it. So I really don't think they're going to deliberately do anything to annoy people or get anything wrong, but I'm just like, how on earth are they going to do this? Anyway, um, so yeah, messing about the transporter. I love this sort of, because again, like you were saying, Squee, this is sort of Star Trek by numbers. This is this is what the transporter is. This is what it does. Yeah, and, and in a super fun way. Yeah, and to see yeah. people... Oh, we made it go 200 metres this time. And it's still warm. And we're watching it's it going, still warm. Well, of course it's still and warm. And it's tasty floor pie. Yeah, like, <laughs> we're watching it going, well, of course it's warm. Don't you know how the transporter works? But no, they don't. And don't. That, that's what's brilliant about it. And, um, and, and can he breathe in space? Yeah, but Murph gets up just because he's apparently indestructible. It means they're feeding him proton grenades, they're <laughs> beaming him outside the ship. It's a good thing they did use Murph. Well, they did not mean someone... to beam him outside the ship. They, just, they mm. mistargeted. So they say... <clears throat> well, they did go to the bridge and wonder where he was because they expected him to be there. Yeah, okay. It, it, was, on, it was on the bridge, but yeah. it was literally on the bridge. It's fun, <laughs> funny how they didn't beam the pie outside the ship, that's all I'm saying, whereas Murph got... Uh, you don't waste you what, pie. I don't know if you noticed, but I thought what was a nice touch is it did sort of like go panning through the ship. You saw like the rec hall, recreation hall, mm-hmm. where the date and all that, and what a tip it was. Yeah, because you've got a group of teenagers here, and they've just left the mess everywhere. Teenagers with a replicator as well. Like, <laughs> yeah, how great would that have been? They'd have been the sort of rate of alcohol poisoning if like you know teenagers in the real world had a replicator because you know I, I remember a few nights oh we've run out of beer there was always the mythical dialer drink which i'm convinced did not exist but the number were in the yellow pages and you could ring it and apparently they delivered you alcohol never worked never never ever ever <laughs> Although, the, the other thing, imagine a teenage boy with a hollow deck and a replicator. Well, there you Don't go. Don't even think about it. But, but yeah, so, you know, when you run out of beer, dial a drink, doesn't exist, you've got to call it a night, you've got a replicator, that party's going to go on, and there's going to be some very poorly kids in the morning, but... Anyway, I suppose we're lucky in some way. We, humanity's not ready for a replicator yet. We'll get there. We'll get there. Um, yeah, so, yes, distress call then. So, first of all, I thought it was Darth Maul. It looked like Darth Maul from the the way it was uh, done in the Clone Wars, but it's actually a Ferengi pretending to be a Vidian. So, we've got an Alpha Quadrant species pretending to be a Delta Quadrant species looking like a Star Wars species. In the Gamma Quadrant. Uh, in the, well, yeah. Unless no, they've... they're in the Delta now, aren't they? Because they went through that wormhole. They, they were, came from the Delta to the Gamma. Oh, Delta to Gamma, sorry. So I'm assuming... Using the, what are we calling it, Proto-Star Drive. Proto-Drive, yeah. Proto-Warp, I think we decided At to call Proto it last Warp. week. But now they're in the Gamma, that does access, of course, the wormhole. The wormhole, yeah. And, but, you know. but it doesn't explain how this Ferengi raised Dal. If this Ferengi's in the Gamma Quadrant, 4,000 light years away from where they were... It doesn't explain how this Ferengi raised Dal. That's the interesting thing. I think that's another one of these things we're going to find out more about yeah, as the, we go and how we end up getting sold there. I think that's wonderful. It's it's enough mystery that 
I think it's a simple enough mystery that young people can follow along yeah. without getting too lost. Yeah. And it gives on-running plot, but it gives enough complexity for older people. Well, that's like it. But yeah, the, the young people are not going to be watching it going, well, actually, you know, I think if you look at where the Gamma Quadrant is, it's... Uh, <laughs> you know, but are stuff you? like that gets to me and I'm like, this doesn't make sense. They're going to have to do a good one to explain all this now. So I'm, I have faith in them and I'm sure they will. Um, let's talk about the Ferengi then. So... Uh, we've talked a few times, like about how Ferengi society, pro- you know, speculating how it might have progressed after Rom took over as Grand Nagus. So, I would guess what this shows us is we've got a Ferengi female wearing clothes who's a daemon of a ship. So it shows that Moogies had some sort of impact on well, Ferengi society. No, what I think's happened here is she's got no crew. Mm-hmm. So I think that Rom's probably been deposed and it's gone back to normal and she's thought, I like this lifestyle. And she's oh, got the ship and gone off on her own. Yeah, could be, yeah. So I really love the idea that they did bring in... I mean, I just assumed, like, I, I think, James, from what you're saying, same as me, was that it was, you know, now society has moved on for Ferengi. But I love the fact that they included a female-clothed Ferengi in there. And yeah, they never had to signpost it. They never felt the need, like, basically, unless they do add what Elliot's saying later, which is absolutely fine, I like the fact that they just had it there. And it's like, if you've seen Deep Space Nine, you know what's going on. Yeah. I, I like the fact yeah. they didn't have to, you know, go through it, basically, again. Well, because there's no other Ferengis there, you don't have to go in, oh, she's got clothes on, how disgusting, and, but they and didn't, all this Like, they didn't feel the need to... Sorry. Yeah, but you don't need that because she's the only Ferengi there. No, I meant I'm glad they didn't feel the need to explain it to people who've seen some Deep Space Nine, but not all of it. Like, you know, on yeah. some shows, they very unartfully add in this um, exposition, which you don't need. Yeah. I'm glad they just uh, went, look, if you've seen that episode, you know what's going on. If not, it's a clothed female Ferengi. Just yeah. Go yeah, well, what? If you're, new, if you're a new viewer, you just got to think it's another alien care. species. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, what I found interesting was that... Yes, it seems like Moogie seems to have made an impact in terms of women seem to be on slightly more equal footing now, but she's still incredibly profit-driven and everything, so Rom's reforms that he was talking about towards the end have clearly not bedded in quite as much as he might have liked, so I'm interested in what's going on with Ferengi society. Um, I think my I picture I, it kind of sort of being about halfway between what. Well, uh, I could imagine yeah. like he had all these ideas, right. but I could imagine like when he's gone back to Ferenginar, he might be able to get through the equal white rights thing and all that. <laughs> but actually, trying to change how they are culturally, yeah, is a big is another big difference. How you the thing I, I see him being like probably a Grand Nagus for en- enough years to get reforms through, some of which they probably found hard to roll back once females had gained this place in society, once they'd been making profit, it was probably hard to roll them all back. But he got deposed quick enough that, that they didn't go all the way that he wanted. Yeah, to. he didn't get rid of profit, but he might, he's managed to get women's emancipation through, which, you know, well done, Rom, if that is what yep. you achieved in your tenure as Grand Nagus. It's more than any other Ferengi has ever done previously. So, <laughs> yeah, hopefully the that will have got you into the divine treasury if you had a sufficient bribe when you got there. 
And he uh, also gets us past having a naked uh, female yes, Ferengi indeed. on a kid's show. <laughs> and though this is a bit of a dirty Ferengi because she's got a hog <laughs> on from Ricer on a on a ship there. So mm. and so this ship has either come through the wormhole if we're in the Gamma Quadrant, or we've got to assume the caretaker brought her there if we've gone back to the Delta Quadrant. But that's not been like, I'm not sure about this 4,000 light years travelled, because Voyager was 70,000 light years away from home. Yeah. So are they... Like, I know how, thing, how things work, so are they still a long way from the Alpha Quadrant? But they've crossed over, sort yeah, of gone because the, right. They've maybe gone right to the Gamma Quadrant. Yeah, they've just gone over. They haven't to... come any closer to the Alpha Quadrant. Yeah. Well, this is yeah. What I'm picturing is like it depends on how far into the Delta and how far into the Alpha yeah. you are now. So obviously, if you've only got four quadrants, they go in infinitely out. Yeah. If you think about it, so they could be as far away uh, from Voyager than they ever were in the Delta Quadrant. Yeah. And then as far away from the wormhole and gamma quadrant, or they could be right next to it. So I love that kind of mystery. We don't know well, if, if we now use, this means well, they don't, know where, the alpha no don't know where they started in the Delta yeah. quadrant, do we? Yeah, Voyager, I think that's exciting. Voyager always said well, it, I, it, think, it, I think because of the Kazon, based on Voyager getting away from them quite early on, the Kazon are a long way from the Alpha quadrant is how yeah. I think of it. Yeah. And we saw them in the first episode. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's true. Or maybe they've ventured further away from the Alpha Quadrant. So it again, Yeah, this it is it. I mean, we, we need a really good map, and there isn't yeah. one. <laughs> so I remember you got one if you bought, like, every videotape of Season 1 or something of DS9, you could send off your tokens for a, a map. But obviously that was season one of the oh, season one of Voyager, sorry. So season one of Voyager. But oh, that, well, that should have the gamma quadrant. It here. did, but obviously there's been a hell of a lot of expansion of the Star Trek universe since then. So yeah. Um right, Janeway then gives them so the Ferengi wants to go down to the planet and well, she's up to something really, but Janeway, of all people, gives them a lecture on the Prime Directive. And he's like, really, Janeway? Really? I have yeah, not... Colin kettle. <laughs> yeah, so there we go, though. That's what she's there for, is to teach them. So, yep, we're, we're introducing the, the Prime Directive. There's a really lovely sort of effect when they get down to the planet, like how the city rises out of the sand and everything. Like, that that just looks great. And it's one of them where you probably couldn't pull it off in live action quite as well. I mean, I know CGI's great You probably couldn't pull it off on TV but... budget live action. Yeah, not to the extent that and they even, do. And even the budgets they have nowadays, I'm going by. Yeah. I it's... mean, certainly you couldn't have that. But I do... I love that this species feels like one we could have seen in the original series. Definitely, you wouldn't have had yeah. the city come out of the sand, but they felt so true to that kind of feeling of like, you'd probably just have a little light in the sky going, bloop, 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 and that would have been it. But, <laughs> Almost certainly, But it yeah. would have been this species, you know, you feel yeah. like. No, the, the species is very much, yeah, very much sort of, because that was the thing, the original series got weird at times, and... I think 60s. I th yeah, but I think we lost a bit of that. Like TNG sort of brought it down to earth and established like a baseline of what we expected Star Trek to be, and we didn't really 
deviate from that much with with DS9 and Voyager. And I like that we're bringing in some of the weirdness again. Mm, I'm all for that. <coughs> the 60s psychedelic you want back. Yeah, just, just the idea that we can go to a planet and it can be something really odd that we've not come across before. <laughs> Whereas in TNG, it was someone with forehead makeup. And, and I love the colour palette of this show as well. It's so bright, so vibrant. The thing which sort of I'm less enamoured with, with Discovery is that it's all dark colours and mm. just white or blue. Blue is a very yeah. big colour for that universe. And it doesn't feel warm and inviting. I love the bright colours. Like you've got the uh, next-gen set behind you, mm -hmm. uh, Jim. And that just looks so inviting. I don't get that feeling when I see the Discovery sets. I like that I do with uh, with Prodigy. Yeah. Yeah, Prodigy's got a lot of the... I feel like it's aesthetically in terms of the ship and everything, it's got a very Kelvin universe vibe to it, which is... You know, well, even the transporters are Kelvin style. Yeah, it's been compared to the um, to an Apple star, which uh, I think was maybe a touch unfair, but... But yeah, it's got that sort of vibe to it, so it looks very modern and clean and yeah, bright and everything. So yeah, Janeway then reviews the footage, and we get our our second appearance of Chakotay. Hey, um, but and she does a bit of a Blade Runner zooming in on the the section of the recording and everything, and it's our old mate. What, what was he called? Dreadnought. Yeah. Or it looks very much like Dreadnought. I thought it was him. Yeah, it's, it's and, him more. And Janeway wouldn't him, uh, know him because no, she, she didn't activate till they got away. And it's well it it's well set up is the moment that the rest of the crew who could tell her who it is are not on board at the time. So yeah. we get to eke that mystery out a little bit. But we're, we're getting a picture now that somehow the Diviner and his people stole the Protostar back in the day. And, like, I think we speculated the other week that maybe he stole it and then lost it. Like, it, it proto-warped into the middle of that yeah. planet and that's why he's mining that planet. Yeah, because, yeah. um, well, the mineral on the planet is um, the um, Chimerium, which is the mineral that the Ferengi steals to power a cloaking device. Yeah. So I... if the protostar's being buried in that, that's why he couldn't find it. It was hidden from sensors. That's true, actually. I, I also kind of liked, and what I thought, I, I love that, by the way. I would never put that together. But I also love the idea that um, w that Janeway, w and this does play towards the idea that she is a hologram who can learn as opposed mm -hmm. to being switched off and resetting every time, is um, like she, she might not tell them about what she saw in the video because she's already proved that she will play a few games with them which I find really intriguing yeah. and really great. And it's, you know, it, it makes her more than just a hologram. She is Janeway brought back through holograms. And the other thing as well... An appearance of her. It's like she's... She probably feels a bit of a duty of care because these are kids at the end of the day. And she's like, right, well, you know, this could be a galactic incident here and it's all well and good and having fun with the transporter and stuff, but I don't think <coughs> I'm dragged into a war or something, so... Yeah, she probably wants to find out a little bit more before she starts sending the crew off to sort it out. Or maybe she'll want to bring reinforcements in. I don't know. Mm. Um, 
it's very Indiana Jones down on the planet because we've got, you know, we need to give it back. No, it belongs in a museum and <laughs> all that sort of stuff, which which is oh. great. Also, like, just at the point, it's a brilliant moment to do a story like this because just as they're starting to come together to keep the <laughs> tension up while still building them together as a crew, I think you have to make missteps to, to you know, just, just eke that out a bit, but do it naturally. So the idea that there's this uh, mother figure which he had, which he believed was like mm-hmm. his mother figure, even though we find out Leia would sell him down the river in, river in a moment, as she's done in the past... I love the fact that it does bring that kind of bit of tension between his new family he's just found and the ones which, one which he felt he came from. Yeah. Yeah, and it's developing Dal a lot because Dal was pretty irritating back in the, the first episode and I think we're, he's becoming a lot more rounded and a lot more likeable as we go along, which is great. Yeah. I love the... Uh, first of all, it's really clever that they've left the, the combat on the crystal so that they can beam it back. That's great. Well, he does that deliberately as well, Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's showing that they're, they're getting quite savvy and they've... Even though they've only just been introduced to the transporter, they've clearly understood implicitly what it can be used for and how useful it can be. Um, but I love the the visual that it gives us of the fact that they beam the crystal back in and this species sees the Starfleet Delta. So this species has seen that the wielders of that symbol have helped them and have done the right thing. And I just yeah, thought that a, was great. It, it's perfect, especially in a kid's show, to do that as well because at the same time you get Janeway being able to <laughs> tell Dal off so he learns from this experience even more so. But you've also got, we see that the species aren't harmed by what they've done, as Janeway is saying. It's like, you might have irrevocably uh, damaged contact with this species, but we we see that isn't so, which is kind yeah. of a nice thing to know. Yeah. You don't want Dal to have actually screwed up a whole no, species. Exactly. Or, or their trust of other species. And I, I really like the fact that we go on that journey of like, there is that moment where you just see Dal's just like, world fall apart when um sorry i'm gonna forget the ferengi woman what's her name oh i can't remember yeah when, when she reveals that she was basically screwing him over this whole mm-hmm. time she sold him to this other person i love his world falling apart just as everything's falling apart in that world quite literally and the weight of having to having yeah potentially ruined that species and their way of life is just such a heavy moment but then we do get the relief of he he, he didn't screw it up Forever. And ultimately, it leaves that species with a, a positive image of the Federation. Oh, they're coming back. They're coming back. They're going to help them later. That's going to be wonderful. Yeah, that's. I didn't think of that. But yeah, they probably will do. And then this is where Janeway tells them off for breaking the Prime Directive, which, as we've said, is a bit pot calling the kettle black. <laughs> but, you see, yeah. I actually feel like there, there'll be a moment later on, there'll be an episode where they're, they're Laura Stebb, everything seems to have gone wrong, they feel like failures, and then that species comes back with that little delta in hand. Yeah, that'd be really good. And wins good. back their spirit. Yeah, it'd be, yeah, it'd be fitting if the people that they help along the way come back to help them. Come pre- back to help them later. Because presumably we are building towards some sort of confrontation with the Diviner. I mean, th- that's certainly the hook that this episode finishes with, that the 
the Ferengi effectively dobs them into yeah, the self information where they are, and which implies this they've gone back to the Delta Quadrant really because the well, Diviner was in the Delta Quadrant. Well, so it's like I said, they've gone four thousand light years, which would take about well, four, four years at normal warp. No, well, I it don't... would if if Voyager was seventy thousand light years away, and that was going to take seventy years. So yes, a thousand light years, years is thousand light years a year. But having said that, warp drive could have moved on in the years since, and yeah. Plus but then, why that, introduce the wormhole? That, that's if you saw it. It stodges what they say the seventy years for Voyager. Mm-hmm. I, I did... is, is it at maximum warp, or is it at warp six, which is cruising warp speed? Or I, I think the um, the divine is going to find another, either the same uh, thing which propelled them. Yeah, I think he's going to find that or something similar. Like maybe he's going to find where it moved to after it was there. Um, No, it's the it's the engine intake that they've got. Was the engine? Because I thought there was something which made the engine. No, it's the proto proto drive engine. Yeah, they've got. That's why it's got two engine cores. One's powered by a proto star. Yeah, and that's That's why the ship changes shape. You'll have to forgive. I, I. I swear I've got COVID in mind. Like, I keep forgetting right. things. That, that was really in bad. the mid-mid-season finale, which is several weeks ago now, so... There's we'll, also that. I've got a shit memory. Yeah, but, we'll but, like, I'm going to blame the COVID. One. It's fine. Uh, but this is what I mean about all these little things are adding up in terms of geography and which aliens are there, and it... Yeah. I, I just feel like, like the Trekkies need an answer the, to this. They can't, get, they can't find the Federation... Because it's been renewed to season three. If they find the Federation, the Federation will not let them keep that ship. No, no, they shouldn't. And, that, and that's the series done. So Mind I you, don't... You, could say this, you could say the same Discovery. Why did they let a crew from 900 years old keep hold of the only ship with a spore drive? I, I'm just saying. Yeah, you could say that as well. But Well, they have been helping them uh, redesign it for... <laughs> rest of the fleet yeah, yeah but they could also put on half at least crew from the relevant time but anyway let, no I mean, because I, the crew's like a family you can't break up the family yeah, if they can do that they can have a, a bullshit excuse why the protest yeah, it's because it's just kids and all that why they wouldn't let them keep yeah, it true. oh but they're like a family by the time they do yeah, they, they're like family <laughs> Quinn's at least 17 we know so Anyway, we'll wait and see. We'll find out. We've got another 13 episodes of season one of Prodigy. So there's a lot of time to address these things. However, let's move on. We're going to talk about a DS9 episode. But for the regular listeners, we have been covering the Dominion War. We are taking a little break from it at the moment. And the reason for that is because we've reached Way of the Warrior, which we want to cover in one episode because yes technically it's been split into a two-parter but it's not it's a tv it's a movie, movie and we want to cover it as such dr squee is going to be joining us and we're going to be doing that as a uh, kind of a one-off special holographic care presenter is joining us as well oh, yes we've got angela's joining us as well for that <laughs> one so nicola might even drop by for that one uh, oh well there Vicky, we go Vicky might join us as well so we're trying to bring the whole crew back together because it's going to be our 50th live stream and we wanted to talk about a really belting episode so that's why we're not doing <laughs> dominion war 
We are, however, doing another great episode. I think this is one of my favourites mm. of the first two seasons of DS9. Um, yeah. This is Blood like, Earth from season two. Well, thought of this because of last week's um, prodigy. Yeah. We're bringing back legacy characters. Yeah. And this is one of the first real episodes to... It's the first DS9 to do it. To bring back original series characters. Well, yeah. Like, I, sorry, we, sorry Jim. we had it in TNG because we obviously yeah. had Spock. We had McCoy in the uh, in Encounter at Far Point. We had Spock for Unification, and we had Scotty for Relics. But this is bringing them back, bringing back more than just one legacy character. Yeah, at this time. Is it, these these are guest stars, not main characters as well. Yeah. That was my huge. point. Like now, it is so done, like in a wonderful way, to have uh, characters, like even minor characters from shows, reappear in later iterations. So Cobra <laughs> Kai, for instance, to the um, to the Karate Kid movies, you've now got the villain from the third movie coming up Which as a main is character. Awesome. I'm sorry, Which is I, awesome. I've, oh, been awesome. Wanting, I've been wanting Silver to come back from day one. I love him. I'm I just think. saying, let's face it, he was a bit out there with his acting, but it works perfectly and he's brilliant in it. And, you know, it's great. I'm just saying, it wasn't done back then to bring back no. a uh, person yeah. who's been in one episode of the original series. Yeah. Then you've got three of them, as Elliot says, all brought together. Like, the three of them weren't on screen before together. No. And they are wonderful. <laughs> and the thing I really love about this as well is, Klingons are a very large species, obviously, in the way they act. And bringing back three actors from the age of when all the TV actors had come from the world, world of stage. So they were very large, very Shakespearean. That's how you get Shatner, obviously, is, and his very big acting style. So to have these three people just doing acting porn, going as large as they like yeah. as Klingons, <laughs> was glorious. Like, you want people who are that hammy. Not in a bad way. I like a bad yeah. ham. I do. No, it's brilliant. Like, John Collingcoss mm. particularly is just wonderful in this episode. But I do want to just tell a little story about this one because I saw this one when it was on TV. And I'll be honest, I didn't clock who they were the first time I saw this episode. I just thought, that's three yeah. Klingons. Because, obviously, they've got Klingon makeup on. Because, well, they, they've got better, haven't they? Yeah, which they didn't they had, have they had, the they had whatever was up with them yeah. back in Kirk's day that Worf doesn't want to talk about, yeah. and they've got better from it. Either that, or they've <laughs> had uh, Ridge prosthetics, which I think somebody <laughs> mentions in Enterprise. Or but the lame Enterprise episode where they go that's into the it. That's the one. We won't that. But what I love was, well, actually, I mean, the only reason why I knew that they were the characters from the original was in the DS9 uh, VHS ones, which I bought. Yeah, that's when they what came I was going to say. It yeah. had a first appearance in Star Trek yeah. and it told you where they first yeah, appeared. And, that, and I'm like, that's that guy. I, and I would never recognize him. No, that's, that, that's what I was going to say. That's how I discovered it. So I saw it on telly and I thought, oh, it's just three old Klingons. And the. What's great about this is the story works in and of itself, whether you know who they are or not. But I had no idea. I bought the VHS, like you say, and anyone who's not seen the UK VHSs of Deep Space Nine, just Google them. They were great. The covers were fantastic. But I'll, what... uh, I'll take a photo for next week yeah, of the collection. Do, and in the pilot episode, most of them, they were just individual sleeves. In the pilot episode, yeah. you got bl- a booklet, booklet inside yeah. the DVDs, uh, DVD VHS. And, yeah, if you opened the VHS cover, 
it, the inside of the sleeve, it had a profile on whichever character was featured. And as Squee said, it said, first appearance in Star Trek on Stardate, blah, 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 in blah, blah, blah. And nine out of ten times, it was always whichever episode was on the tape because it was like Melora and it was like first appearance was DS9, Melora. Uh, but this one, I was like, all right, it's going to say first appearance is DS9, Blood Oath. And I was like, first appearance is Errand of Mercy, TOS, what? <laughs> yeah. Hang on. And then you'll have another one that will say tr- uh, Trouble with Trouble with Trouble. And, and um, um, is it Day of oh, the Dove? Dave the Dove. And that's what's great as well, that they've taken one Klingon from each season of the original series and <laughs> fashioned this storyline where, oh, they all knew each other and they all had their own adventures. And... Which is brilliant. Yeah. And, and what you said is so true. There is no reason you had to do this. They just did that for the love of it, really. Yeah. yeah. For a bit of extra fan service. When fan service wasn't really well, a thing yeah. as much. No, exactly, and it, as I say, the episode doesn't need that um, that association, but it benefits from it hugely, and it's so great, like you said, to see these guys back again. And as I say, John Colicos, I think, who plays Carr, just he's amazing in this episode, and I think it it's potentially to the future of DS9's detriment because I think they went to the call well at least one too many times in later episodes, but I think he's... I, I like <coughs> the I like the call story arc. If you want, like, it's a shame we can't do a call story arc at the moment <laughs> because it crops up in the Dominion up. War, so... He does that so it would ruin things of the Dominion War arc. It would if we, we went all the way through with Carl, but Also, when would you do it? Uh, but yeah. like one thing I was <laughs> going to say is that uh, I love the fact that the three characters are well. Again, it speaks to what I was saying about them being such large characters. You've got one who is the pure id of just going and getting drunk and partying. Mm-hmm. He's lost his warrior spirit in a way in that way. Another one, he just wants to train to try and keep himself as sharp as he can against his age. And one which is sold out and just wants to go, oh, no, Dax, you go off. We'll, we'll just go off here and die because I've sold you out, like which we find out later. I love they're so clearly drawn characters. They're just big archetype characters. Yeah. and Wonderful. A lot of the, that. The great Klingon warriors that haven't died in battle. Yeah. Mm. And a lot and what does that do to them? They haven't had the ultimate glory in yeah. their... In their well, their culture. Yeah. yeah. And and most of that, to be fair, comes from this episode. Like, not a lot of it was there in their appearances in the original series. Like, particularly looking at Koloff, he was just really a comedic foil for Kirk in The Trouble with Tribbles. There was no implication that he's this precise warrior who likes to hone his weapons to the extent that he cuts a cheesecake in a precise fashion <laughs> you know there was none of that and Kang was just a thug really in yeah. Day of the Dove you know but the fact that in the space of a 45 minute episode they they take these characters who were just villains of the week and they give them so much and round them out it, it's fantastic writing 
before we go past it, can I just very quickly give a nod to Odo's little moment at the beginning? Yeah. So you've got Quark losing his shit over this guy who is just beasting up his hollow deck, and then in one second, Odo just like sh- shut down the program. He comes out really mad, and he goes, "You've won. They're waiting to celebrate you through there. Yeah. Well, get out of my way, then. I'll be <laughs> off." And he just feels <laughs> it like that. It is so um, cool. I Such love, a pimp Odo moment. I love Koloth's introduction as well, where he says, "I am Koloth," and Odo says, "That doesn't answer my question." Yes, it does. <laughs> it does. <laughs> So yeah, they're just brilliant how they all come in. Um, they, it's worth shouting out when Kor first meets Junzia and he says, Kurzon, my old friend, says it's Junzia. And he immediately says, Junzia, my old friend. And this has sort of become a meme um, sort of within the trans community in terms of this is how we want yeah. people to behave. Where, you know, if you, if you have to correct someone, if your name has changed, if you've transitioned... Call's response is exactly what everybody's response should be. It should just be, yeah. right, okay. It just changed the name. Yeah, yeah. it's not Curzon, my old <laughs> friend. It's Jadzia, my old friend. So I think Carl's brilliant in that. Perfect. And the fact that all the way through, he's just the one who's supporting Jadzia. He's just like, who cares whether it's a, a godfather or a godmother? Come on, <laughs> let's go kill someone. Yeah. She's our sister now, little brother. <laughs> Yeah, who wouldn't want to slay them and eat these hearts? Yeah, he's just well up for it, his car. And I love that. I uh, mean, in fact, the only moment which I don't know why this always bothers me, but it's the bit where he goes, um, and I stood by, um, uh, I lift my gupta to, to Dax, and she goes, I who once was Dax. I wish he'd just go, I who am Dax. You know, I, I think she should claim it a bit more. It, it, no, it was I, I who once was Curzon, wasn't it? She, yeah, yeah, I just feel like that watered Curzon. down somehow for me. I don't know why, but that line always jarred me. Yeah, she could have just said an I Dax like, rather than yeah. specifying. Yeah. To say she there is no done. difference, I am still that person, which is she's what she's trying to ascertain. Yeah, and the, we don't get into it a huge amount in this episode. But there is a little bit of that because Kira says, well, you told me that, you know, the Trills don't have to carry on the the things, but obviously it's established how sort of personal this is for Dax and everything. And I love, again, the fact that we take a character from DS9 that we know has had these past lives and, and we go, oh, and actually her previous host was best mates with three characters from the original series. And you're just like, <laughs> yeah, okay, that's well, brilliant. We, it, we have heard already and that. McCoy. We have heard oh, yeah. already that um, Curzon had helped negotiate peace with Klingon. Yes, so we do. He'd been an ambassador to them, so it would get friendly with some. Yeah. And to break through to Klingons, you have to drink with them and fight with them. Yeah, and we get a bit of that, don't we, that Curzon deliberately... <laughs> Turned the back on, turned his back on Kang to annoy him because that was the yeah. only way to kind of get through, which is great. Um, I love the albino as a villain as well. I know there was a bit of speculation when we had Discovery season two, so we all got excited because there was an albino Klingon, and we were like, "Oh, maybe that's going to be," but it's not. Um, because I don't think the albino is actually a Klingon, is it? He says late in the episode, "Like, I don't want these." Klingon scum in... I think he is. I, I I've never been able to tell. I don't know. He looks Klingon enough that you question it, but he looks not Klingon enough that you yeah, question it's it. Yeah, it's not clear. 
It's the forehead ridge problem again. He's definitely got forehead ridges, but we... Uh, what? I think a Klingon uh, screwed whichever other species was the guy who was standing next to him. Yeah, And here's the result. Yeah, we'll go with that, because it's definitely not Ash and... Um, what's the name? Son, so... That one, we all got excited for about a week, and then it got shot down. Um, Can I ask a... Uh, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to ask your, your, your guys' view on this because I really love Dax in this and I love her uh, need to fulfill this oath and her loyalty and all her strategic kind of stuff is really great. The only thing I sort of wished, because even though we know that they retain memories of skills and stuff from previous heists, I almost wish they'd made her a slightly less good fighter because mm. I think that adds to the pathos because... Having her being a kick-ass fighter, which doesn't... It never seems to really fit the character for me. She's a scientist. She's a thinker. I almost want her to not be as good a fighter, which adds to the pathos of her still wanting to go and do it anyway. Mm, yeah, the, you could have lent into that, definitely. But I don't know, because the by having Dax be that into Klingon stuff and that, that good a fighter and everything, that really gives her character a lot to do later on, particularly when we bring Worf in and things like that. So I think on balance, I think it it probably gives a dimension to Judzia that is helpful overall. But uh, yeah, I can see what you mean within the context of this episode. Would it have been interesting to to have that called out, to be like, right, well, you know, you're not. Curzon could wield the Batleth and you're going to get killed. Okay. And yeah, and when you've got two of them who are so much in the corner and the other one who's calling out, maybe that's what could have inspired her to train and be better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, I mean, yeah, though we do have a lot to get through in 45 minutes, so to add another arc yeah. to do that, I don't know if there's room. Oh, no, no, but... I mean, you do the arc yeah, later on when yeah, you want to... Oh, I see what you mean. Like... Do you have a Rocky IV training montage in the No, no, I didn't mean training really... this. I meant, I meant <laughs> like... have her being not as good here and then have her train... Yeah. Like when she meets uh, Wolf going, ah, after that moment, I trained every day and I became... Yeah, that athlete. could have been really interesting, yeah. Um, the other thing I noticed is, and this is a really finicky nitpick, but... It, the whole setup is Curzon was the godfather of the son, so and she keeps saying, "My godson, my godson." We, the Klingons killed their gods, so surely godson does. I'm assuming it's the universal translator that's sorting yeah. that out. But yeah. the, the concept of a godson, I don't think there's a one-to-one in Klingon culture for that term. I can imagine the. The position, you know, you, you, I imagine it would be... The warrior protector. Yeah, an incredible honour to be. But, you know, I'm surprised that they don't say, like, you know, I he was my... Oh, or some, you know, something like that. Yeah. I don't think they <coughs> developed into Klingon culture enough by then, had they? No, I, I think I think it's like, just one of them. That like it's... The Klingon culture has been, has been a growing thing for... Through a lot of series. Yeah, and we get so much more of it in DS9 once Worf comes on board. Like, you know, everyone thinks of of Worf as a TNG character who went to DS9, but if you break it down, all his meaty stuff is in DS9 compared oh, to yeah, TNG. He's a better the character warrior. really, really came, came to its own. Yeah. They, they used him properly. 
I, I think what, what Elliot's saying is very true as well. They kind of got more consistent with the mythos in yeah. Deep Space Nine, which gave Worf more to do. In Next Gen, his skill or lack thereof uh, mm -hmm. varied, mileage varied episode in to episode. Well, in Next Gen, the sort of built up of, in a few episodes, a bit more of the Klingon mythos. Well, it's one of them. In the original series, had literally just been the villains of the week. Yeah. Like a recurring you, villain, villain of the week. If you look at the TNG episodes that do good Klingon stuff, most of them are written by Ronald D. Moore, who was obviously heavily involved yeah. in DS9. And so it, it starts to make sense why we get so much better stuff once he gets to DS9, where Ronald D. Moore's got a, a much firmer hand on the, the development and he can do a lot more over a longer time and everything. Um, Cisco, then... Basically turns up, says, nope, you shouldn't go because uh, you're in Starfleet and it doesn't thing. And, you, ooh, there'll be consequences and you won't just be able to come back to work and, ooh, and, and that's it. There's well, no... Yeah, it's, it's not the best... At, uh, at, least he didn't, at least he didn't say you'll have to resign your commission to go, but you can rejoin Starfleet with your rank as soon as it's over and come back, which is basically what happens... How many times have we seen this in... Oh yeah, that, that does happen quite often. But but yeah, it's just it it it's a plot beat that I think you needed to have it because otherwise you'd be going, well, hang on, what does Cisco think about all this? But there's not I, enough time to really I delve think into it. If this had been done later on in the show, this episode, I think you probably would have had it play out a lot more. The consequences to Jadzia afterwards oh. in future episodes. Maybe. Whereas yeah. this one, this is see, episode 19. By episode 20, it's all, this is all forgotten about. Well, also I would add that uh, with later on, if you've got later on Cisco, he would have been going, no, fuck, go, fight, like do stuff, be stuff up, because that's what he became. I think actually, if anything, it's a less interesting version of Cisco saying this. Yeah. I think if, if he'd gone... If you gone like if you do this, it'll change you forever. And she goes, "No, I'm going." Okay, go with you know. I think I I I think if you want to do it in just this one scene, have it end with him giving her his blessing. Yeah, like, he doesn't agree with it, but he begrudgingly respects that she's got to do this. And the, the reason and let this be the end of it. There is an implication of that at the end because it, when she comes back, and we only get one scene, but there's sort of meaningful looks with Kira and yeah. Cisco and. Yeah, there's a sort of tacit acknowledgement of, yeah, okay, you went and did it, fair enough. Though, as it turns out, she doesn't actually do the killing. She couldn't um, kill him in the end, could she? I don't think oh, I, that she couldn't. Well, the way they played it, because I thought about this, they he she holds it up to his neck and she just pauses. Again, I think if you want to really milk this moment, really make it exciting, she just pulled it back slightly before he gets killed. Just mm. almost imperceptibly. You'd almost have to rewatch it to catch to... it. Yeah, that yeah she, she was, was going to do it, out, but basically. then Kang did it. Because in the same way that Kang, she gives Kang his well, honour back. Have, you could have also Kang giving, that, that, that could have Kang giving you her. When she pulled back and started going forward again. No, I like Kang the idea stabbed, that she pulled back. That she back, was going to do it. Well, what stopped. I was going to say was, I like the fact that if she pulls back slightly... Kang kills him. Then in the same moment when she's giving Kang his honour back, he gives her her honour back, where she's, like, proved that in this body, she isn't that same person. Who yeah. Her. 
I, I would have really enjoyed that, but I know I'm just tweaking something which is already. No, exactly. Point. Yeah, like you say, it could have just been a, a very subtle twitch of the bat left, like she's going to do yeah, it. Whereas almost arguable, was she planning yeah. to, to strike or was she pulling back? Like it's like earlier on when she's got this moment when she comes out and goes, "Excuse me, where's the tennis courts?" Like lose that bit. Come on, you, you're having a serious clear on moment here. Yeah, that's true. I just yeah. think a few little tweaks would have made this from a near perfect. Yeah. To perfect. Like, I mean, it's not far off perfect. Yeah, where's the tennis courts is not a good line. However, look upon your execution as killer of children. That's a good line. That is that's a, a good line. Yeah. line. That's we the don't line. need quippy in this <laughs> yeah, episode. That's the line you drop when you kick the doors in. And yeah, it's it the, the whole battle and everything is really well done. It's some of the best action up till this point in DS9, but the action, well, if we're talking like, about Klingon action when we talk about Way of the Warrior. Though, how, if you watch this battle, there's no blood on any of the swords. No, you don't see any blood not. at all. And if you, like at the same rate in the show made now, you would have the blood. Oh, you, you would have had later on in the series. Really? Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. In the show, sorry. Because yeah. this... I mean, I... <laughs> It, this is at a point in Deep Space Nine where they won't even let Cisco shave his hair off. They're not ready for blood and a bat left. <laughs> no, they're really not. But working within those confines, it's a really great it action It is a packed. really good battle. battle it is, but, but what end. we were used to seeing on TV at the time when this came out, it was really strong. Yeah, it's, and I think it really holds up, this one. I'll, I'll, I've always really loved this episode, but... It's one that's always good fun to go back to. Well, this was part of the transporter set as well on videos. Oh, of course it was. Yeah, the, the crossover box set. Yeah, the crossovers. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. Because I, I really... Something we've already alluded to, something which I think is really interesting in this one is it is dealing with, in a warrior race where you're destined to die young, if you're so good at it that you live to be old, what yeah. are the consequences of that? In one of them, it's the fact they've got just fat. The other one, just, just training all the time, trying to keep up. And the other one, it's that they've lost their way. And that moment where Dax and him talk and she gives him that back and he decides to go into battle and the other ones quit the drink and decide to go for it and they're all just there and they, they're somehow young again. It's just yeah. so beautiful. And you get that moment as well where Dax tells Kang how Curzon died. And Kang's like, oh, did he die with honour? And she's like, well, no, he died of old age, effectively, you know, an old man. A grumpy in, old get. In a hospital, and Kang's just like, oh, you know, I don't like the sound of that. But And he gets the death that he he wanted. So. He like, to be fair, um, Korg gets his death that he wants in the end of his story. He, he does, yeah. It's a few more episodes. Um, Quite a lot more episodes. Well, yeah, a few more core episodes down the road. But, yeah. And that's big as well, the fact that they killed two of them in this episode, you know. Yeah. yeah. All three of these could have been recurring characters. And I think John Colicos was probably like, whoa, I'm glad they didn't kill me off in that one. You know, them two. But, but I mean, it would have been so unsatisfying if you reached the end of this episode and none of them have died. Like, the fact that you kill off two of them, I think was necessary. And I think it was so impactful. I think you had to kill at least one of them. Yeah. I almost wanted all three of them to die. I mean, I'm glad, you know, again, some of the later episodes I enjoyed more than others with, with the surviving character, but how impactful would it have been if they'd all died just for the basis of this episode? 
they got the glorious death in battle they all wanted. Mm, I think Dax would have had a few questions to answer, though, when she got back to the station, if they'd have all died, you know. Not, not in this point in the series. Then you don't have to answer any questions. Oh, That's she's true. back. Everyone died. Okay, let's move on. Yep, what's yeah. next week? And, that, and it did do that. And, and DS9 got really good at it. And we've said this many a time. DS9 was ahead of its time. Yeah. Yeah. With story arcs. But <laughs> at this point... It's still very much in that episodic thing where consequences don't carry over to the yeah, next episode. It, it's totally transitioning. In those first two series, you can totally see them transitioning from episodic to serialized. Yeah. And there's even to the point where, like, I mean, I, I, I was saying to you guys before, the first series of Deep Space Nine, if you watch it back, it's, there's so many really strong episodes. It's so underrated. The second series, there's moments where it lo really loses its way. But then you do start to get these things mm -hmm. which are building up, ready for when it does become episodic. They've laid the like, groundwork. I think why DS9, when we watch it back, suffers where we do sort of feel uh, season one, season two were that great is because DS9 became so good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> at the end. There's definitely it, that. It, like you're comparing it to itself. And but there are also some stinker episodes. Some stinker is, they're just yeah. there. Like there's a midpoint in the series where I've been watching them back from the beginning. I, I just stopped and I was finding I had forced myself. It was actually really good we had this episode coming up because it forced me to catch up. And yeah. there were some episodes better than I remembered. Uh, like there's one just before this, which is basically a remake of Casablanca in space. It's brilliant. And I never really noticed that's what it was before. Oh, with Quack, which great. episode is... It's Qu the one with these uh, the Kardashian teacher, which um, yeah, with Quark, uh, yeah. Quark's in love yeah, with. Yeah. And you've yeah. got Garrick there as the um, the equivalent of, uh, is it uh, Ferrari? He's the equivalent of the police officer yeah. from yeah. Casablanca. And they're all there. And it's so obvious. And I never spotted it until now. <laughs> yeah. It's a brilliant space remake of Casablanca. Yeah. It's great. And, you know, saying about, like, yeah, this is one of the episode episodic episodes of DS9. But... The fact that we do all this background with Dax and she's into the Klingons and blah, 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 that pays dividends pays when we bring Worf in, you know. It, it could have yeah. just been an interesting little character quirk, but then all of a sudden, wow, we've got Worf now and we've got this woman who's really into Klingon culture. Right, that's an interesting dynamic. And obviously, you know, we it, it doesn't end happily, but there's some interesting things along the way, so... Spoilers! <laughs> I don't think many Klingon romances end happily. I don't think that's a huge that's spoiler. True, that's true. Neelix's anyway. did. Neelix's? Yeah. What happened with Neelix and a Klingon? Am I forgetting that when, the, when they ran into the uh, Klingon bird of prey that had been out for 100 years. Oh, I can't remember. Don't make me watch it. Mm. I've definitely seen it. I don't need and, to watch it. Neelix pulls. <laughs> <clears throat> Well, let's face it, if it's a Neelix heavy episode, that's not a recommendation. It's in a Neelix sorry, heavy episode, though. There's some vague. Neelix's uh, love affair with a Klingon ended happily. There's some vague horror in my mind related to that. But anyway, <laughs> so yeah, that's Blood Earth then from season two of DS9. We're going to be back next week talking about the next prodigy, and we. We're not going to we'll be get doing. another episode. We'll get another episode to look at, so we're not going to be doing a. A, DS, um, a Dominion War 
Maybe we can look at the Sword of Kalis, actually. So that's the next core episode, and it's not... I already have an idea for next week. Oh, you do? Okay, we'll find out but then next week. We have week. to watch Prodigy yet, but I've seen the title of this week's Prodigy. Right, okay. Can so... you tell us, the t- can you mention the title? I don't know if the titles ought to be a spoiler or not, so because it came up on my news feed and I turned their Facebook off straight away. <laughs> so I didn't read press, anymore. But as soon as you press play, you're going to see the title, surely. Um, it's called Time A Mock. Oh. So I was thinking we could maybe look at a mock time oh, yeah, next that week could along be with it. interesting to do, yeah. <laughs> and this is before watching, so I don't know if it's related in any way whatsoever to... But, oh, come on, if... You but, can't call it that and not. But a mock time's a, a good episode. Yeah, let's do a mock time because, mock, you know. Time a mock and a mock time. Time Shotgun. a mock and a mock time. Yep, Dr. Squeak can join us as well. You're welcome. So that's... No, you're not covering our mock time without me, I'm sorry. That's, <laughs> no, that's, that's fair. Um, so that's next week sorted then. Um, if you want to so get... So we'll be back next week, possibly at half past six. Like we... we will try and do it for half past six if... My laptop is not required for my wife's work projects. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we will see. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us in the meantime, we're at RetrekPod on Twitter. You can email us, RetrekPod at gmail.com, or you can come and join us on Facebook. Dr. Squee, have you got anything going on at the moment? Um, I, I don't, I don't as at this point, know which my guest is going to be for next week for the Dr. Squee Show. But you can catch the Dr. Squee Show on sw20radio.co.uk, the new sound of South Wales with me in Southampton. Don't ask, it just happened. <laughs> uh, and if you listen to uh, the, I'm catching up with a podcast, but in three episodes to be released of the podcast time, there's going to be an episode which I just did with uh, Terry Todd, a makeup uh, artist who's worked on uh, Hook, Mrs. Doubtfire, um, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. For Star Trek VI, he did the Targ, he, he put some prosthetics on a dog. It was brilliant. Um, there's loads of... He's just been in everything, and he talks about the new uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie, which he created the new Leatherface film. Ooh. So, yeah, that's one definitely that's one to check out. And um, that'll about do us for this week then, so thanks for trekking with us this time, and we will see you next time on The Retrek. Thank you. Bye-bye. Live long and prosper. <laughs>